The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So what I want to talk about tonight is vigilance. And don't be put off by that word. It can sound strong. But really, it's what we did, the exercise we did at the end. Just keeping our mindfulness, continuous mindfulness. It's so easy sometimes when we sit and we're very mindful and then the bell rings, boom. (laughs) We open our eyes, we jump up, we start moving and the mindfulness is gone. And what we want to practice is keeping that mindfulness all the time. So the bell rings and we open our eyes, but we stay mindful. We're aware of our surroundings. We're aware of ourselves. And we keep mindfulness as much of the time as we possibly can. So I'm going to start by reading the chapter from the Dhammapada called Vigilance. This is the second chapter, um, and this is Gill's translation. He uses the word vigilance. Ton Jeff, in his translation, uses the word heedfulness. Heedfulness and heedlessness are um, frequent translations used throughout the Buddha's teachings. The Buddha had a lot to say about paying attention, about being heedful, and the difficulties with heedlessness, with not paying attention. So, vigilance. Vigilance is the path to the deathless. The deathless in Buddhist understanding is awakening or nirvana. Negligence, the path to death. The vigilant do not die. The negligent are as if already dead. Knowing this distinction, vigilant sages rejoice in vigilance delighting in the field of the noble ones. The noble ones being those that, <clears throat> that uh, have at least entered the stream, one of the four stages of enlightenment. Absorbed in meditation, persevering, always steadfast, the wise touch nirvana, the ultimate rest from toil. Glory grows for a person who is energetic and mindful. Glory meaning um, maybe admiration, recognition. Pure and considerate in action, restrained and vigilant, and who lives the Dharma. Through effort, vigilance, Restraint and self-control, 
the wise person can become an island, no flood will overwhelm. Unwise, foolish people give themselves over to negligence. The wise protect vigilance as the greatest treasure. Don't give yourself to negligence. Don't devote yourself to sensual pleasure. Vigilant and absorbed in meditation, one attains abundant happiness. Driving away negligence with vigilance, ascending the tower of insight and free of sorrow. A sage observes the sorrowing masses could be the suffering masses. As someone standing on a mountain observes fools on the ground below. And I would suggest that using the word fools is not a pejorative, but simply uh, those who are not vigilant, those who are not wise or aware. Vigilant among the negligent, wide awake among the sleeping, the wise one advances like a swift horse leaving a weak one behind. For me, that's a strong visual. You can see the horse leaving the, uh, what do you call it, the chute, the stall, very quickly leaving the others behind. With vigilance, Indra became the greatest of the gods. The gods praise vigilance forever rejecting negligence. The monastic who delights in vigilance and fears negligence advances like a fire, burning fetters, subtle and gross. Fetters are uh, defilements, are those things that, that we let go of as we become uh, closer to enlightenment. The monastic who delights in vigilance and fears negligence is incapable of backsliding and is quite close to nirvana. So... That's a lot to say about vigilance. A sustained or a continuous mindfulness, wakefulness, paying attention. Many years ago, I went to a weekend training that was somewhat based on the S training. And as we walked in the room, there were two big signs. Pay attention. At the time, I was not involved in Buddhist practice, so I didn't know where it came from, but I thought of that so often. Uh, The people that put it together were certainly aware of the Buddhist teachings. 
And um, <clears throat> that was so outstanding. Pay attention. Be awake. Be aware. But I want to suggest not in a straining or striving way. Vigilance is not about uh, being uptight and... and um, uh, getting uncomfortable. It's a relaxed attentiveness, but it's the sustaining, the maintaining of it that um, makes it vigilant. It's a diligence, uh, a non straining diligence. So, it's also referred to as wakefulness. And this is another uh, shorter translation. Wakefulness is the way to life. The fool sleeps as if he were already dead. But the master is awake and he lives forever. He watches, he is clear, how happy he is, for he sees that wakefulness to life, how happy he is following the path of the awakened. With great perseverance, he meditates, seeking freedom and happiness. So you hear in there the, uh, the opposites, the master the fool, the vigilant, the negligent, the heedful, the heedless, making these uh, comparisons. Life passes swiftly. Wake up, wake up. Do not waste this life. So, Practicing diligently, with ardency. This practice, as we know, is not for the faint-hearted. <laughs> this is, can be a very challenging practice. We sometimes say it's like swimming upstream. <clears throat> We're going against the grain of so much of our conditioning, so much of culture. So we want to be serious. We want to be dedicated to the practice. But we want to be relaxed and joyful as well. And so sometimes it takes some, uh, some effort, some knowing to balance those things. As we relax, we don't want to <laughs> slump or become complacent. We want to stay awake, stay present, stay uh, mindful, but not in a tight, constricted way, in a relaxed, more open way. We want to learn to use the right amount of effort. And that's something that we all can work with Um, There are times when more effort is needed, 
there are times when it's appropriate to let go the effort and relax. And sometimes a wise teacher can help us, can point that out. Sometimes it's a knowing within ourselves what the right effort right now is. I think in many ways vigilance is an attitude. It's an intention. We set the intention to be awake, to see clearly, and to maintain that wakefulness throughout our daily lives, not just as we're sitting in formal meditation, but throughout our lives. We want to be as awake as we possibly can. So one line said, living the Dharma. What do we mean, living the Dharma? What good is the Dharma if we don't live it? So we could talk about it in different ways. One is by following the precepts. We have five major precepts. And living the Dharma is following those precepts. Underlying those precepts, of course, is the idea of ahimsa or non-harming, following the path of harmlessness, not creating harm for ourselves or anyone else. So the precepts in, in Buddhist practice, the precepts are held a bit differently than they are in other traditions, in that they are not seen as black and white. Do this, don't do that, in all circumstances. They are spiritual guidelines. They are for us to work with, be aware of, practice as well as we can, and know that Life brings many challenges and that there's no one-size-fits-all. The other thing that in this practice we do is often state the precepts in the positive. And that can open them up and make them... uh, much more alive, I find, much more relevant, and much less right, wrong, good, bad. So the first one, of course, is that of not taking life. Or we say honoring life, respecting life, protecting life. And so living the Dharma is protecting life. Not just our life or all humans' lives, but all of life. Animals, plants, the earth, all of life. And that really opens up the precept, doesn't it? It's not just not taking life, but honoring protecting all of life. 
So you can see that there are many uh, possibilities within that and many opportunities to see clearly, to ferret out what is protecting life, honoring life, respecting life, and what is not. And you can see that it's not so black and white. The second precept is that of not taking what is not freely offered. Not stealing. (laughs) But when it's said that way, what is not freely offered, uh, again, that opens things up. That makes it a little less definitive and a little more um, up to us to practice with, to be aware of what is freely offered and what is not. So I, um, I am one that picks up money that I find on the ground, and I walk a lot, so I find a lot, mostly pennies, but I find a lot. <laughs> And many years ago, I found myself picking up a coin. I think it was on somebody's driveway or lawn or something like that. And before this practice, I wouldn't have given it a second thought. You know, there's, there's a coin, I pick it up. I actually keep it in a jar and then give it to community services. But nevertheless, after this practice and and studying the precepts. The next time, I didn't just pick up that coin. It was on somebody else's property. It was somebody else's coin. It was not freely offered to me. And so I left it. So I still pick up coins if they're on the sidewalk or the gutter or something, but I'm much more aware. If they're on somebody's property or in a place that it's not so clear that it's just okay to take. I don't take it anymore. Now, it might seem like a small thing in a way it is, but in another way, it's that honoring of not taking what is not freely given. It's a bit more mindfulness about what I take and where. And is that really okay? Somebody else might make a different decision, you know? That's not the point. The point is that we think about it. And what is our intention? What is our motivation for taking or not taking? And the positive corollary is cultivating generosity. And of course, we know there are many, many, many ways to cultivate generosity. And most important to remember that it's more than money. So often we, we find ourselves limited to thinking about generosity in terms of money. And that's part of it. But our time, our talents, our attention, doing something that somebody else would like, whether we want to or not. There are many, many ways to practice Uh, generosity. And we get lots of opportunities to look at that. The third precept, 
Um, sometimes it's talked about as speech, sometimes as um, sexuality. We'll say speech for right now. So um, basically using wise speech, not using um, uh, untrue or harsh or untimely speech. So the Buddha said more about it than just that it should be true. He suggested that our speech should also be kind, not harsh, and it should not be gossip. It should not be idle chatter. It should be relevant. It should be timely. And so we practice, you could say, cultivate wise speech as well as just not telling an untruth. The fourth, then, uh, is that of sexuality, not abusing sexuality, our own or somebody else's. And the positive corollary is honoring or respecting our sexuality um, or our bodies as well as that of somebody else. So again, it opens it up much more than just not (laughs) doing this or that. But how do we honor, honor our bodies and the bodies of other people? Um, then the fifth is that of, of not intoxicating the mind. And typically that's been seen as no drugs or alcohol. But as Thich Nhat Hanh reminds us, there are many ways, many ways to cloud the mind, including movies and magazines and all kinds of violence, we could say, um, so being aware of not, not bringing into the mind that which will confuse it or cloud it. And the positive corollary is cultivating a clear mind. Again, so much more to work with than just not drinking or not taking drugs. So how else do we live the Dharma? We do it by practicing mindfulness throughout our day as much of the time as we possibly can. We do our best not to go back to sleep, not to become complacent. There's a wonderful poem by Rumi that I keep on my mirror. So I see it often. The breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the door sill where the two worlds meet. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. 
So for a long time, I pondered, what does it mean you must ask for what you really want? I didn't quite get that. And then I realized that we must go for what we really want (laughs) and not waste our time with things that are superficial, that are temporary, that are not the main goal of our lives. So if our goal is awakening, enlightenment, nirvana, whatever we want to call it, then it's important we keep our sights on that and not let ourselves get distracted. There are so many distractions in this life, so many things that, that draw us. And of course, all of our advertising, <laughs> so much in our culture is trying to pull us away from a goal like that trying to tell us we need this, we need that, we deserve that, we must do that. It can be a real challenge to stay the course, to not be tempted by all the things that are calling to us. Mara, we might say. As the Buddha suggested, I see you, Mara. I see this distraction and that distraction and all the things that keep me from my basic goal. And there are many, right? (laughs) So we must ask, we must go for what we really want. And then the last part, there are people going back and forth across the door sill, or threshold, I like to say, where the two worlds meet. The door is round and open, not so distinct, not life and death, but much more open. Birth and death both occur within life. And if we stay awake, if we don't go back to sleep, we see the deathless. We see birth and death within this life. So it takes vigilance for us to stay the course, to not be fooled by all the the temptations, the distractions in our lives, in our culture, all the acquisitions that we're encouraged to accumulate, relationships, experiences, things, We fool ourselves sometimes that these things will bring us lasting happiness. And of course, they don't. 
we talk about restraint, and sometimes I think people are put off by that word restraint. It can feel like denial. But I think actually it's a term of maturity. Being able to forego the immediate gratification or the short-term happiness for the longer-term happiness, for the, um, the greater gratification. Just like children, as they're growing up, learn, they have to learn, to forego a piece of candy <laughs> right now for something much more valuable down the road. That can be a, a difficult thing for them to learn. But as we mature, we all learn that. We all learn that um, we don't have to meet every desire immediately. And in fact, that's not what will bring us happiness because, as they say in Zen, desires are endless. We satisfy one and there's another. And then we satisfy that and there's another. And so learning to forego the immediate pleasure or happiness for the longer-term happiness, the happiness that comes from wakefulness, from being awake and aware and present for our lives right here. Then it says, the gods praise vigilance. I think all traditions talk about vigilance or diligence or dedication or serious practice. So we take our practice seriously, but I want to emphasize that it needs to be fun as well. It needs to be joyful. And the Buddha talked a lot about the joy of our practice. If it doesn't have joy, then we're not going to continue to practice. Jack Cornfield says, if your path doesn't have joy, it's not the right path. <laughs> you need to find the path with heart. The path that gives you joy to practice. So it's not drudgery. It's not um, uh, all work and no play. <laughs> but it becomes a joy. It becomes, I don't know if easy is the right word, but it becomes uh, a great pleasure to follow the Dharma and be awake rather than going back to sleep. Sometimes, you know, we let ourselves go back to sleep. Sometimes we fool ourselves. Human beings are awfully good at fooling themselves. So sometimes we fool ourselves, and we're really sleepwalking. <laughs> and we might think that that's easier or more pleasant. But if we really look, if we're really aware, 
It's just like in meditation. My mind loves to think. I know yours doesn't, but mine does. It loves to plan. And I can get caught up in it. There's a certain pleasure in it. But when I realize that I'm thinking, that I'm lost, that moment of waking up is actually so much more enjoyable than all that thinking that I was doing. But I have to be reminded every time I wake up, oh, yes, yes, this is actually better than being lost in probably what I have thought a hundred times before. So remembering that, that being awake, being aware, being present is actually much more pleasant, much more enjoyable than being asleep. So uh, this chapter also says that with vigilance, the sage, the monastic who delights in vigilance and fears negligence, advances like a fire, burning fetters, subtle and gross. The fetters being the defilements, the poisons that get in our way, the forces of greed and ill will and delusion, and also uh, attachment to our identity, attachment to uh, our practice, any attachment that we have. When we're vigilant, we see through that. We see the attachment. We see that that's not what we really want. And we can burn through those fetters with our vigilance. And then the last verse suggests that the one, the sage, the wise one who is vigilant can't backslide, can't go back, and is very close to nirvana. I find that inspirational, a great promise, very motivational, (coughs) that Practicing vigilance, being wakeful, being aware, being heedful can bring me very close to nirvana. So I'd like to read this one more time, but from Tom Jeff's translation, which you'll see is very, very similar, just slightly differently worded. And as I said, he uses heedfulness instead of vigilance and heedlessness instead of negligence. So heedfulness, 
the path to the deathless. Heedlessness, the path to death. The heedful do not die. The heedless are as if already dead. Knowing this as a true distinction, those wise in heedfulness rejoice in heedfulness, enjoying the range of the noble ones. The enlightened, constantly absorbed in jhana, in deep meditation, persevering, firm in their effort, they touch unbinding. And Tanjef calls uh, awakening or nirvana unbinding. The unexcelled safety from bondage. Those with initiative, mindful, clean in action, acting with due consideration, heedful, restrained, living the Dharma, their glory grows. Through initiative, heedfulness, restraint, and self-control, the wise would make an island no flood can submerge. They're addicted to heedlessness, dullards, fools, while one who is wise cherishes heedfulness as his highest wealth. Don't give way to heedlessness or to intimacy with sensual delight. For a heedful person, absorbed in jhana, attains an abundance of ease. When the wise person drives out heedlessness with heedfulness, having climbed the high tower of discernment, Sorrow-free, he observes the sorrowing crowd. As the enlightened man, having scaled a summit, the fools on the ground below. Heedful among the heedless, wakeful among those asleep, just as a fast horse advances, leaving the weak one behind, so the wise. Through heedfulness, Indra won to lordship over the gods. Heedfulness is praised. Heedlessness censured always. The monk delighting in heedfulness, seeing danger in heedlessness, advances like a fire, burning fetters great and small. The monk delighting in heedfulness seeing danger in heedlessness, incapable of falling back, stands right on the verge of unbinding. So, we have a few minutes. I wonder if you have questions or comments.
the so the vigilance and a relaxed vigilance um, if vigilance isn't my normal state then to go from sort of unvigilant negligent negligent okay that would be one way to put it um, or lazy it could be for me um, I don't know whatever you call it yeah. but to go from there to being vigilant it's almost like it's it's really hard to do that and then say but a relaxed the vigilance that that balance is hard to get because if it's not your my um, automatic way of being then it's it's an effort so it's it's tricky to do it and be relaxed about it. Yeah, and it, it does take uh, more than effort. It takes awareness and and an intention. You know, that's why I said I think it's an attitude. Vigilance is an attitude, an attitude or an intention to be awake, be aware, and then when we realize we're not. No judgment, no beating ourselves up, just, oh, oh, and back. It's like the Sufi story I love to tell of the, the Sufi who went out in the morning and as he closed the door said, I'm going to be mindful all day today. And when he came home in the evening, he opened the door and said, oh, that's right. I was going to be mindful today. <laughs> We've all done that, right? We say we're going to be mindful, and then, you know, an hour, eight hours, whatever later, oh, that's right, I was going to be mindful. Um, that's what happens. But then we reset our intention. No, no big judgment, no big, you know, what a fool I am. But just, oh, that's right, I was going to be mindful. So then we said it again. And we do our best to be mindful as much of the time as we can. And when we're not, of course, like Gil says, if you're not, there's nothing you can do, you're just not. But as soon as you wake up, and you realize you're not being mindful, then you're mindful again. And so that's why I say I think it's an attitude or an intention. Um, We set the intention or we have the attitude that we want to be mindful. And every time we're not, we come back. We're not, we come back. So yes, it takes some effort, but I think it takes more the um, awareness and remembering, as we say. <laughs> we have to remember to be mindful. Does that, does that help? We'll see. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah, the thing about that striving and struggling, it can be so... Um, tight, we actually get in our own way. You know, every time we, we, um, we're hard on ourselves and, my God, well, that tenseness, that tightness tends to make things worse. (laughs) 
doesn't, in fact, help us to be mindful. So that's why I say we set the intention, and then when we're not, when we realize we're not, of course, then we are again. <laughs> and so and learning to enjoy that moment of waking up rather than berating ourselves for the time that we weren't. Thank you. Anybody else? I hope it doesn't sound daunting. <laughs> I tried to make it more practical, not because the word vigilance, I think, can sound daunting. And I'll tell you what draws me to this, um, to this word, to this chapter. Many years ago, in here, I believe, uh, before Gill's translation was published, we were, there was a class, it might have been a sati class, I don't remember, but anyway, uh, we had uh, just manuscripts of the Dhammapada, it was not yet published. And I don't remember exactly what was going on. Maybe we were reading the chapters, I don't know. But anyway, I remember clearly, I was probably sitting right there, and Gil said, forget vigilance. <laughs> Clearly a message, right? So, um, so I made this bookmark one time, some project we had here, and it says, vigilance is the path to the deathless, negligence the path to death. <laughs> That made such an impression on me. Obviously, Gil was seeing something that, that I wasn't. And, um, you know, suggesting in his way <laughs> that I needed to be more vigilant. And uh, that, that left a lasting impression. So I do my best. I'm not always, of course, but... I do my best, and um, that that incident stays in my mind. You know, it's one of those things that you don't forget. Yeah. I um, it's my. F- second time here and I brought my friend Jasmine it's her first time here I just wanted to say thank you for um, your message and uh, for including us and being open to the community practice I hope it wasn't overwhelming (laughs) (laughs) no joy attachment vigilance I'm like the to do list is there I'll get on it yeah yeah anything else Comments? Well, we have a couple minutes. Let's sit quietly and pay attention.
So have a good week, and I'll see you again, I think, in about three weeks. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm.